I'm sending out an SOS here. Someone please send help to the Detroit Lions. All right. They need help very badly. They were the first team, get this mark, the first team in NFL history to surrender double-digit leads in four consecutive games. There have been nearly 17,000 games played in the NFL history. And the Detroit Lions, once again, in meaningless history here in the record books. Well, you know, honestly, the best thing that happened to Detroit yesterday was Atlanta blowing it even harder than Detroit That's, because it takes a little it, bit of the pressure off. I, you know, I, uh, I have a, I have a w- weird, weird feeling about Detroit this year. I, 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 I liked them and uh, I like, you know, they are, they are, uh, I feel like a kindred spirit to them as a bears fan, you know, the lions, like, uh, it, you know, you you don't feel too far away from eventually being a Lions fan when you're a Bears fan and just how bad the teams are. Uh, and, you know, I, I have a soft spot in my heart for the city of Detroit. I love visiting. I love the city of Detroit. Uh, they certainly deserve better. And uh, it's an SOS is, is I, the whole organization needs an SOS. Maybe the, the whether it's the Fords needing to sell or I don't know, it, it's, uh, it's bad times in Detroit. Matt Stafford, you know, like just got feel bad for the guys sometimes, but uh, they, they just find a way, you know, they are, like you said, they are competing with the Atlanta Falcons here for just the, just the absolute collapses late in games. Um, obviously Atlanta probably still has a little bit of a stringhold on that, but look, four straight games that, that you almost have to try to do that. It's that difficult. It will, it's got to be absolutely maddening as a fan. Like, I can't imagine going through that that many times in a row, obviously dating back to last season. it's uh, That's heart attacks waiting to happen. Like, the, the population of the city of Detroit, we are, they are losing population drastically for many reasons, but I think one they of are. them is heart attacks due to the Lions. Just awful. All right, well, welcome into the Football Lounge. Here we go, week two of the NFL season and we're already off and running. It's, it seems like we've already been watching football for several weeks. There's been so much happening in just the first two weeks of games. Uh, I feel like we're just taking in all of this information already. Um, but yeah, here we are in week two, uh, some crazy games, some uh, interesting wins, some, you know, injuries across the league. So a lot to get to here today, but uh, I'm Dan Vasco along with Mark Hespin, and here we are with another edition of the Football Lounge. So sit back, relax, and join us here for some football talk. Mark, um, crazy week two, to say the least. Yeah, I think what's going to stand out most uh, in week two, obviously, when we look back at this uh, weeks from now, months from now, is obviously the injuries. That's going to be the storyline of week two uh, for sure. But I also think this this storyline, the biggest storyline, it's what I'm going to get to my headline is that I really legitimately think already um, we have some a really good foothold on where teams are at, what teams look like, and already kind of a, a, a pecking order in the NFL. It only takes two weeks, it seems like, uh, but and things can obviously change. Plenty of football left. But there are some teams that look great, some teams that look bad, and then there is those teams in the middle that uh, are going to be jockeying for those wild card spots. And you can already kind of see that playing out. It's, it's 
a lot of great football yesterday. A lot of uh, a lot of uh, shocking results, and a lot of teams that I thought were going to blow teams out and uh, didn't, like the Chiefs. <laughs> the Chiefs. Yeah, that was an interesting one for sure. Uh, we're we are starting to see some trends form in these ball clubs, kind of getting somewhat of a sense of their identity. Uh, only two weeks in. Before we get to our opening act, where we kind of dissect um, the week two games and and give our reaction to kind of what happened on Sunday and Thursday night. Um, let's uh, dive back and do a little history on this day in football history, September 21st, 1970. Monday Night Football made its debut on ABC with the game between the Cleveland Browns and the New York Jets. Cleveland defeated New York 31-21. to It was a battle of quarterbacks Bill Nelson and Joe Namath, and Nelson got the better of Namath there. The Jets... At 200 more total yards than the Browns, but still ended up losing this one by 10. It was announced by Keith Jackson and Howard Cosell. So going way back there to 1970, 50 years of Monday Night Football, and we've seen our share of uh, announcers come and go over the years, that's for sure. Uh, That fact is provided for all of the young people out there that, yes, the Jets at one point in time could move the football. They could move it (laughs) effectively. It was very shocking. Uh, but at one point in time, they could move the football. And at one point, you know, Cleveland uh, could, you know, win a game uh, under the national spotlight as well. Yes. So, and there you and go. Uh, that ESPN wasn't embarrassed by their Monday night football crew. Yeah, that that too. We've um, we, it's been like a carousel, especially over the last decade, I would say. So, you know, maybe this one. This group will stay a little bit. I really, I'm a big fan of Lewis Riddick. I actually, uh, he's one of my more favorite analysts. Uh, I like having him. In the I love day. Lou uh, and I like Levy. I'm not, I don't just, we got to give, I give it time. Obviously I'm excited for tonight. Uh, we're recording here yeah. uh, before we get to the Monday night game tonight. Uh, we'll see. Uh, it's just hard. Also like Herb Street and Fowler were so good. They were so good. They were, they did a great They job. are just one of the all time great booths. Those two together. And uh, so uh, it's going to be interesting, but uh, we digress. That's our look a little back in football history. Absolutely. So going into our opening act, week two, we mentioned it, a lot of injuries, um, some interesting takeaways from just two weeks of football being played here with a lot of the teams. Obviously, the Thursday night game was the first one, and the Browns did win that one under the national spotlight, so maybe I should take back what I said, but they they beat the uh, – the, the Cincinnati Bengals, 35-30 there. And then we had, a obviously, a, a full slate of games on Sunday. So, Mark, I'll just kind of defer to you with your initial reactions, uh, your biggest takeaways, I guess, from the action yesterday. Well, you know, Dan, for me, the I think the Browns winning on Thursday was a microcosm to come for what we saw from Week 2. There were games where we're starting to find out where these teams are falling in the pecking order, right? Browns week one play a really good Ravens team. We all think the Ravens are really good. We see the Ravens again uh, uh, beat up on the Texans. They improved to 2-0. So the upper echelon teams, the Browns get blown out. When the Browns play a bad team, bottom of the league team, they barely win. They look good. They barely win. So you're starting to see that kind of pecking order. Okay, so the Browns are going to be good enough to beat the bad teams. Uh, they're going to be blown out by the elite teams. So now we got to wait to see, all right, how do they fare against the teams that we feel like aren't the elite, but aren't the bottom barrel, the Steelers, the, uh, you know, the Colts of the world, um, you, you know, te- you know, teams like that, the Texans of the world. So um, that to me, who started this kind of microcosm because 
what really happened in week two, when you see a lot of these scores, I mean, the Bills let the Dolphins back in. We obviously think the Bills are, a, are a, an upper echelon AFC team, but they couldn't really step on the throat of the Dolphins. And the Dolphins, to their credit, looked a lot better in week two than they did week one. The Chiefs, we believe, are an upper echelon elite team. They struggled with the rookie, Herbert, and uh, uh, kudos to Herbert. He looked great. Uh, it was great seeing him. So this this kind of trend that we see in that we kept seeing in uh, in uh, in week two, the Packers down early to the Lions. You think, oh no, they're an upper echelon team. Uh, then they finally got it going and and put it together. So starting to kind of see where those uh, where those allegiances and those uh, that tiering uh, lie. What what you know. What were some of the things that, for you, uh, shocked you with Week 2 as far as, you know, uh, teams falling to 0-2, teams moving to 2-0 as well? Yeah, I, I had a, a kind of an array of takeaways. Uh, so, like, I kind of narrowed it down to maybe, like, four things that, I, that really stood out to me. First off, in a loss, uh, Joe Burrow is the real deal. He's legit. And, and he's legit. He's legit. Um, if you trust a guy to throw 61 times and he doesn't throw an interception as a rookie against look, Cleveland isn't a bad defense. They're, they're pretty solid defense. You would say, I mean, they're secondary. Yeah. Their secondary has got issues, but uh, for a rookie quarterback to throw 61 times, throw three touchdowns, no picks, almost win the game, a divisional game, uh, national spotlight, you know, your second NFL action. I was really impressed with Joe Burrow. And I, I think he's going to have quite a career there in Cincinnati. Uh, Cowboys, they can't win this way consistently. I mean, no. they they barely pulled that out. <laughs> and kudos to them for finding a way. Uh, but you also got to say that Atlanta blew that. They did. I mean, if you you're watching the the football go to the ten yard mark, and you're just not going to pounce on it. Like if you see it slowly approaching, there's three guys hovering over it on an onside kick. You got to Someone's got to take charge and, and go get the football. Dan, just make sure Atlanta it, is the it, first team in NFL history to lose after scoring 39 points without a turnover teams before that were 458 and oh, I mean, I that is the, all, that is the <laughs> definition of a choke job. That is the, definition, the of, definition of blowing it. And, uh, I got I got thoughts on Atlanta that game later during uh, during my uh, headline, but I, I couldn't agree with you more. What else? What were the other two that really stood out to you? Yeah, so uh, the Rams uh, they they are finding a rhythm, especially yes. offensively. Uh, and I, this is not something that I anticipated because I thought that they were still just going to be that team that relied heavily on defense, and then you know a splash play here and there and maybe get the run game going. I I've always thought Jared Goff was a solid quarterback. I think he kind of flies under the radar a lot, but I also didn't think that he was going to, you know, be as efficient running this offense as they've looked these first two weeks. So I was impressed with them and, and look that the NFC West, that, that is, there's no question now to me that that's the best division in football, uh, especially if you include a healthy 49ers team, which obviously now they're, they're in rough shape, but, Arizona's legit, and then you got Seattle, obviously, and, and the Rams are right there, 49ers defending NFC champions. That's just a stacked division. And then finally, the Vikings and Eagles are in big trouble. Yeah. And I'm in big trouble because I picked both of them to make the playoffs in my predictions here. So, uh, look, 12% of teams make the postseason when you start 0-2. Both of them have started that way, and – 
I, I, I just don't know what to make uh, of these either of these teams. It's hard to see how either one, you know, digs themselves out of this hole. The Vikings just their defense hasn't looked nearly as good as I thought it was going to be. I mean, they on paper they were they should have been absolutely stacked. You know, Dan, I think it's interesting because I, I wanted to touch on the the Vikings and the Eagles as well. I obviously was very high on the Eagles. So you know, when you you look you look back at our predictions we made a couple of weeks ago. And I say to myself, you know what? Overall, I still feel really good about it because it's early. But, you know, even if I totally whiff on the Eagles and the Eagles end up being a total dud this year and I had them at, you know, 12 and four or whatever, winning the division, there's other things that are happening that I do feel good about. My, my, my thoughts on Seattle seem to be coming true. My thoughts on Dallas seem to be coming true. My thoughts on the Vikings seem to be coming true. There, you know, there are some things that uh, I'm seeing there. And, and honestly, my thoughts on the Bears seem to be coming true. And I, and, and here's my thing with Minnesota, especially. I said it, and I, and, I, and I took a little heat for this, and I know, you know, we, went, we, we, we debated this pretty hard. They just, I was so worried about them not being the same offense since they got rid of Stefanski, and Stefanski took the job with Cleveland, and since they uh, lost Diggs. Now, listen to this stat, and I think this lands true as well. This is from uh, Dan Orlovsky, you know, the ESPN guy. And Dan's a really smart guy, and he tweeted this out, and I had to screenshot it and bring it up. He says, two playoff teams from last year traded away their number one wide receivers. Those teams who traded for the wide receivers are 4-0, Arizona and Buffalo. The teams who traded them away, uh, Texans and Vikings, 0-4. I mean, Diggs and, and Hopkins. I mean, you look what's happening. I, I have always been that this is a, a lead that should be built on line play and a quarterback. But these skill position guys in this modern day NFL, they mean a ton. And they matter. And, and and when you lose those guys, I mean, it is shocking to see how bad the Vikings offense looked. Kirk Cousins was was dreadful. He was absolutely embarrassingly bad against a Colts team that no one's writing home to mom and dad about. Uh you know, the, and this a Colts defense that uh, is certainly that gave up what 300 yards to Garner Minshew the week before. Kirk Cousins goes in, throws three interceptions, looks absolutely embarrassing. I have more faith in the Eagles turning it around because the Eagles have guys that are coming back, getting healthy, and I trust in the fact that Doug Peterson is the offensive guy. He is the he's the driving force. Versus you know, as much as I love Zimmer. And Zimmer is a defensive guy. I don't see him riding this offensive ship for Minnesota, and I just don't see them uh, figuring it out early. Uh, early on, again, I think Minnesota is going to end up, like I said, around seven and nine, eight and eight. They're not going to be. They're not going to be three and thirteen. But it's a rough, rough start for the Vikings and the Eagles. The Eagles, I, I would say, is a little bit more of the injury concern, and that leads me a little bit to where. I find myself as a Bears fan and defending the Bears a little bit. You know, a lot of people are, you know, frustrated with with the Bears. You know, hey, you don't score any second-half points. You almost give up uh, that game to the Giants, who don't look good, and they're now injury-ridden for sure. But I'll say to you this. I I respond this. They're 2-0. They found a way to win a football game. Both weeks, they found a way to win a football game. First week, it was in the second half, an offensive explosion. Week two, it was holding on for dear life and uh, getting some, uh, you know, some bad breaks, some drop balls. And a lot of people, you know, still hating on Trubisky or, or things like that. You know, I still heard some chirping for Nick Foles. And you say to yourself, if you're a Bears fan, look at what Kirk Cousins is right now. Look at what Carson Wentz is right now. 
and and the Bears haven't committed the money to Mitchell yet. They're they're in free zone. Let's ride this out. Hey, we're two and zero. Keep on rolling, finding ways to win football games. Is a Bears fan? There's a lot of there's a lot of frustration. I don't feel great about it. Again, what did I say earlier? At the Browns, you kind of know where they are. They're exact. The Bears are exactly what I thought right now. They are better than the than the Giants. They are better than the Lions. I don't think the Lions and Giants are going to be very good this year, but they're beating teams that I think they're better than. How are they going to compete against the teams that I feel they're equal against or the elite teams? We got to wait to see it out. Uh, but uh, you know, I thought I thought overall as a Bears fan. I love the second half of week one. I love the first half of week two. Can they put a complete game together? It's going to be fun to see. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there's a lot of other teams in worse shape than my own Bears right now. And uh, being 2-0 and right now compared to 0-2 for the Vikings, 0-2 for the Eagles, and whatever's going on with Atlanta and Dallas, there's a, he's, good to, he's feeling pretty good as a fan uh, of my team. And I feel like your Steelers are in a similar situation. You gotta, you yeah. can't feel great about that Denver win, but hey, find ways to win football games. Two and zero. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what the name of the game is, right? It, because in in years past, we've seen both of these teams lose games that they should have won, or lose games they had, you know, the game relatively in hand. So, you you got to give kudos to actually getting the W. I will say, like, I thought Mitch looked good. Um, the throws were really wobbly, but they got <laughs> to the spot yes. and they got, they, I mean, that, that throw to Anthony Miller that wasn't even caught uh, for, in the end zone was a phenomenal throw. Yeah. And it was still, it was kind of a duck, but it got right in his hands. I mean, it kind of reminded me of like Peyton Manning where, you know, he never threw a perfect spiral, but the ball was always placed properly. Um, I'm obviously not comparing no, yeah. to, to Mitch Trubisky to him, but um Look, if they if they can keep that kind of momentum going and look, Trubisky seems more comfortable. He just seems a little more comfortable working with within the pocket and extending plays. It's a little bit like Jared um, so, Goff. I would argue, you know, McVeigh and Nagy do remind me of each other, and it's a little bit. They're both in the third year of the system. With uh, you know what I mean? It's that third year, sure. And so you see it where it felt like last year the Rams and the Bears. The, the coaching staffs tried to get too smart and too clever and like, and just, you know, and get away from what they're actually good at and what they, you know, which is running the ball effectively and having a quarterback that plays well off a of play action. And obviously Mitchell and Goff are very different quarterbacks, but let me say this, Dan, since 2018, this is the starting QB records. Mitchell Trubisky is 21 and 10 since 2018. Deshaun Watson, who everyone loves 21 and 12. Jared Goff since 2018, 24 and 10, just three wins better than Mitchell. Mitchell obviously has had some injury issues. So he's right there. I mean, you put him in as far as records, stats are going to look different, obviously, but it's about winning games in this league. And it's about who you feel confident who can get you a win in this league. Uh, felt very, very interesting to say the least after week two. I know you're going to talk some Packers here coming up in a bit. I, I don't want to waste too much time on it, but they look good. Um, kudos to the Bucks getting their first win. Wasn't worried about the Bucks at all. You're right. The Cardinals look legit, and and Washington's going to be fun to watch because that defensive line. Ravens are world beaters, and the Texans are in a world of trouble right now. Listen, the Texans. I said it last week. They're about having an identity of like, let's run the football, let's get rid of Hopkins, get in Johnson, and they ran the ball only 17 times. I mean, it's embarrassing what they're doing right now. Uh, and so overall, week two. Still early, 
but there's definitely some panic for some teams and and for others if you're a Bears fan or you're a Steelers fan and you don't lo- you're not in the world beater category, you're not in the Baltimore looking category, you're not in the Seattle looking category, you're not in the Chiefs looking category, but you still got to feel pretty good that you're finding ways to win football games early in this season. Yeah, no question. No question at all and um you know kind kind of to that point I I think um, when it comes to a lot of these teams that we're talking about, it has boiled down to offensive line. Yeah. I mean, the the three teams we've mentioned here, the Vikings, the Texans, and the Eagles, have all struggled mightily. And the Eagles obviously have been injury riddled along the offensive line. The Texans just haven't had good offensive line play. And neither have the Vikings uh, in the past couple years. You know, they have a quality running back. They want to run the football well, and Stefanski was able to kind of scheme up some things for them. But they have, they've had issues along that offensive line for, for quite some time, and that's why it brings us back to the trenches always because a quarterback needs to be able to for have sure. a, a few seconds there to succeed, and the run game needs to be there to help set up the pass. So those are um, the initial thoughts from the Week 2 action. We'll get to more detailed stuff in our headliners coming up but before we go to the headliners it is our bold strategy cotton quote of the week and this brings us to the los angeles chargers rookie quarterback justin herbert getting his first start in the nfl tyrod taylor kind of a a crazy situation had some chest pain moments before the kickoff and he ended up having to go to the hospital and he was released later it's all good uh, but Justin Herbert, uh, w- he was told, he said about 10 seconds before kickoff from Anthony Lynn, the head coach, that, hey, you're going in. Herbert delivered relatively uh, well, 22-33, 311 yards. Yeah, he did. Uh, over 300 yards passing, he had a touchdown, an interception, and took the Kansas City Chiefs, went toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes. Uh, they ended up losing their 23-20 Chiefs on top in overtime. But... Here is what Anthony Lynn said after the game. This is per Ian Rappaport. He said, speaking of Tyrod Taylor, quote, if he's 100% ready to go, he's our starter, end quote. So, Mark, this is pretty interesting considering you you got in a situation where you had to play the rookie quarterback. It wasn't a situation where you wanted to, but you end up putting him in there against the defending Super Bowl champions. He plays about as well as anyone could ask uh, on 33 pass attempts and he takes the Chiefs to overtime it was a loss there you can't blame him on that one this is an interesting take if the guy played poorly you'd have maybe a better point well I think it's bold because obviously I don't as a as a fan of NFL football as a fan of teams I don't like just blanket definite statements like that now I will give Anthony Lynn a little bit of a little bit of um, <laughs> uh, wiggle room. He did say if he's one hundred percent ready to go, so that's yes. where it's a little also like Lynn has some room. Now I think listen, he was asked that right after the game, so you obviously you want to support Tyrod. Uh, Tyrod is an, a consummate pro. Everywhere he goes, people love him. He what he did in Buffalo, getting him to the playoffs a couple of years ago. I mean, he's a guy you root for and everyone likes. So you don't want to anger him. You don't want to frustrate him. And there's plenty of guys, I'm sure, in that locker room, too, who feel that way. Listen, you shouldn't lose your job to an injury, a freak, something like that. If Now, if we get to a week of practice or whatever and it just, you know, things start, you know, 
tumbling or Herbert's confidence or whatever goes, that's the way it goes. So he did give himself a little bit of wiggle room. I just think it's a. I just think it's bold and it and and I think uh, frankly I think it's a stupid comment overall to say because I I would never want to commit blankly like that. And I got to be honest, the Chargers. The only reason they were in that game, you cannot tell me that they would have that defense would have played nearly as well, and those guys would have had an inspired game to almost knock off a team they shouldn't be anywhere close to competing with. If it wasn't for the juice they got from Herbert early on, Herbert gave that offense life. He found Keenan Allen. Uh, Eckler was uh, Eckler in space, running the ball much better. Uh, frankly, he just looked at, like better at playing quarterback than what I saw from a Tyrod Taylor against a worse Bengals defense the week before. And and honestly, you see it. And I, as a Bears fan. I can tell when a defense is playing more inspired because they feel like their offense is playing inspired. I have seen plenty of times over the past two years where the defense is quitting because they feel like they just they know they can't do anything with the offense anyways. So to me, Bosa and Ingram, those guys were playing elite football and at a high energy pace due to what they were getting from their rookie quarterback. And frankly, the kid is big, he's strong, he's tough. He was taking massive hits yesterday, and he looked good. Just play him, just play him. I, you know, and and uh, I hope that uh, the Tyrod is okay, and I hope that the Chargers get a, a real good look at this, and they can look themselves in the mirror. Tyrod, you know, get him, give him the start next week, whatever. But this is now the snowball is in effect. The calls for Herbert, especially after seeing how good he looked. If he looked bad and he came in seeing ghosts and had a Darnold-esque thing, you'd be like, oh, no, no, we're okay with this. But he looked good. He looked like he could play. Let him play. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to speak a little bit generally here because obviously every situation with a rookie quarterback is its own situation that has to be evaluated on the merits of the the, the player itself, um, the you know, the team, the situation, all of that thing. But when my philosophy, when it comes to these types of situations with a rookie quarterback, my thought is if you're a team that you believe that you can be competitive and compete for, um, you know, a division and potentially go to the Super Bowl and you have a veteran quarterback, then you ride with the veteran quarterback and you let the, the young rookie learn and develop through that process. Similar with the Patrick Mahomes, the Chiefs were yeah. a competitive yep. team with Alex Smith and they were right there. Or if the player is coming off of an injury that you just don't want to take the chances, like a two-one. Yep. Other than those, if you're average or you, the expectations are, you know, we're in a super competitive division, we're not going to go far. I think exposing a quarterback to NFL defenses in a year where it doesn't necessarily matter as much, I think that's really invaluable because they get that exposure and it's not the worst thing. It's not the weight of the world on their shoulders that they, this team need, this team expects us to go to the Super Bowls, to go to the playoffs, to win divisions yet. Um, so it's helpful in that regard. That's why I think in this situation, Herbert should just take the reins at this point. If you were going to go with, with Tyrod and you guys were winning games or whatever. All right. That's, you know, that's, that's fine. That's your prerogative. Um, and, and I think Tyrod's a great guy he can learn from, but he can learn from him with Tyrod on the sidelines. I think with, like you said, with how he played to me, it just seems like the obvious move at this point, you got to go with Herbert, go with the hot hand. He did seem to kind of inspire the team a little bit, give them that juice. 
I mean, they almost won. I mean, we were talking about probably a totally different conversation if they won the game. Oh, yeah. And they were that close to winning. So, And honestly, Dan, uh, you have to think about it, too. You drafted a guy in the same draft class as Joe Burrow and Tua. Joe Burrow is stealing headlines and looks amazing. And if your guy played just as good and looked just as competent and capable as Joe Burrow – you know, there's still a chance, you know, in L.A., in that big market, you're competing for dollars against it. You share a stadium. It's not even really your stadium. You're the the renters in that stadium. There's a chance if Herbert keeps – if he plays the, consistently that good, because I just think that he's got better pieces around him than Burrow, he could win rookie of the year. I mean, like, there's things, like, where you, you start to think into it, like, hey, if we can get him 15 starts now – if we can get him and his numbers, like all and that builds, maybe he beats out Burrow for rookie of the year. There's a confidence, a swagger, like, hey, we got the right guy. They got, you know, I just think there's other larger things at play for a team that's not going to compete for a championship where you can start to say, hey, you know what? We're going to run our guy. We want to sell merch. We want to get hype in this city. We want to try to steal a little market share, get some young fans out there watching a, a, a Justin Herbert and uh, and uh, seeing if he can win a couple games and uh, and build towards the future because that's what the future is anyways. Yeah, and th- this would be a good year to do it, to build up that anticipation, that motivation for next year when you are hopefully a full return to football and everyone can say, all right, we got that year. Uh, we, we got that year of looking at Herbert. Now we're pumped. Now we're ready to go for this brand new season instead of maybe all the question marks that would come with a year of, of him not playing anymore. So... It'll be interesting to see. We'll definitely have have to be monitoring that as the weeks go on. And, uh, yeah, he did say 100%. So it very well may be that Tyrod's 80%, and we, we see Herbert next week as well. So moving on to our headliners of the week, Mark and I choose our biggest topics to discuss. And, uh, obviously, with two weeks in, we already mentioned that there are plenty of storylines that have kind of started started to develop or maybe are, are even somewhat fully formed at this point. So, um, Mark, I, I know you got an interesting one here that you feel pretty confident in, a statement. Um, so take it away with your, with your headline. Well, let me start by saying the train uh, is – it's only – we've only left one station. You can still get on the Russell Wilson MVP uh, train. It, I'm still driving that. I will be driving it. And, I, you know, I like – honestly, Dan, I've been watching, obviously, a lot of ESPN, Fox Sports, you know, listen to my guys and – it's starting to catch notice. You're starting to hear people say it's ridiculous that Russell Wilson only has the one MVP vote, stuff like that. So I'm glad that I'm a part of that train and early adopter to it. I've Absolutely. I've loved Russell for so long, and we're both on board. He looked we're he looked there. amazing. He looked amazing Sunday Night Football. Yeah. That was an all time great game. It was a great great game. Uh, but this week's headline for me, uh, I'm going to say this, and I and I think it it's harsh. I hate to have to say it. But there are three head coaches that deserve to lose their jobs. And I think they deserve to lose their jobs sooner rather than later. And it's there are three guys who, going into the year, their seats were already warm, but have shown such incompetency through two weeks that they just need to be fired. They need to be let go. And let's start with Detroit, Matt Patricia. First off, A, Matt Patricia looks bad for a a multitude of reasons. We started at the beginning saying four, the only team in NFL history to lose four straight games by double digits going back to last season into this season. Uh, That is horrendous, especially when you are 
a guru of something. The worst thing you can be as an NFL head coach is also the best thing you can be. The thing that gets you hired is the thing that will get you fired quickly. I'm an offensive guru. Well, if your offense stinks, what the bleep are you doing? I'm a defensive guru. Well, if your defense stinks, what the bleep are you doing? And he is the defensive guru, the man who takes credit for Malcolm Butler's interception against the Seahawks in the Super Bowl, and your defense looks like absolute trash. And I get it. Yeah, and calls out Darius Slay. And, and you then gets cannot rid of him. say, and listen, <laughs> I get the whole argument that I got injuries. Everyone gets injuries. I will give you a little leniency on injuries. But you, the guy you learn from, the man who you say you learned and you and you in, and you're in his tree, and Belichick is dealing with more opt-outs on his defense than anyone else, and they are playing competitive defensive football. So I don't want to, you know what I mean? Like you have had three years to build this culture, it's not there. The guys clearly don't respect you. You don't even carry yourself well as a head coach. And I think there's something to that. I I, I really do, you know, and and it's not a, um, it's just, there's nothing about, there's no energy, there's no juice. You know, you see Matt Nagy, even a guy who's been heavily criticized, or a Matt LaFleur, young coach in, in, in Green Bay. You see some of these guys, a Cliff Kingsbury, young coach who's taken some heat. They at least, they, you you see something from them. You see a leadership. You see a, a quality. I equate it to, I talked about on my show on Saturday morning, LeBron versus Kawhi. And LeBron gets a lot of heat for being the most ridiculous, you know, complainer, right? Every ticky-tack foul, he is throwing his hands and, oh, my God, and blah, 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 and in the rest face. And that is the most annoying thing in the world. But you know where he stands, and he holds people accountable, and he is vocal, and he will tell you if you're disappointing him, or he'll just get you traded, right? Like he got Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball. And, and, it's, and it's similar to Kawhi. On the opposite side, when you're so nonverbal and you're so quiet, when your team is being blown out in a game seven, where are you? Where's the passion? Where's the fire? And I and I feel that with Matt Patricia. I don't see the passion. I don't see the fire. I don't see anything that leads me to believe he could turn that around. And all three of the guys that deserve to be fired, they, they, they all have what I would just say there is where's the fire? Where's the passion? Where's something? Where's anything that you can hang your hat on? Uh, to also makes it worse for Detroit is this. You know, the defense is bad. It's horrendous. You're the defensive guy. And you're replacing a guy Caldwell, who they fired, who was nine and seven. And they were like, oh, well, we think we have the pieces and need to get better. And you have been bad. You've lost 11 straight games, four of which uh, double digits. And I get it. You didn't have your quarterback last year, but you got your quarterback now. And even when you don't have your quarterback, you had other coaches like the Steelers, like the 49ers, when they didn't have their quarterback, they weren't losing 11 straight games. It's time for Patricia to go, and honestly, if I was Detroit, I would fire him sometime sooner rather than later because I still think Detroit has a chance. They do have talent. They have pieces, and with Minnesota looking as bad as to do, is the Bears are shaky as they are, and you're leading Green Bay in Green Bay. There's something there with Detroit. I just think that they don't buy into him. I think you got to get a different voice. you got to get him out quickly. The problem with Detroit is, Who's the guy in that staff? I don't know who they bring in. You don't usually bring in an interim coach. 
who's the guy in the staff that you lean on? I'm not 100% sure. Second head coach that needs to be fired immediately is Adam Gase. Adam Gase needs to go. And it's the same thing. His introductory press conference was weird with the eyeballs. Adam Gase, it's, it's Adam, so Adam Gase, the only thing legitimately now, legitimately the only thing Adam Gase has done that is like elite is when he had Peyton Manning. And then the Bears steal him away as the offensive coordinator. And he did good things with Jay Cutler as an offensive coordinator. And he helped Jay Cutler cut down in interceptions. And so, like, okay, well, that's a positive. That's a positive. They weren't an elite offense, but that's a positive, right? Gets the head coaching job in Miami. And Ryan Tannehill looks better now that he's out of Miami. I mean, the whole thing was, can he make Tannehill into something? Tannehill struggled. And now he's looking great in Tennessee. And he gets the job in the, in in my, in the in New York to help the young quarterback. And Sam Darnold, the guy who we all thought, and I thought, and I think we all still, a lot of people in, in football feel, has more talent than anyone he was drafted against. Like, pure quarterback coming out of the draft talent. More than Josh Allen. More than Lamar Jackson. More than Baker Mayfield. He looks worse than all of them. And that is an indictment on Adam Gase. And again, Zero energy. You have guys like Jamal Adams, your best player, saying, I don't want to play for this guy. Red flag number a million. Uh, you have a guy in Greg Williams as a defensive coordinator who has been in this position before, who I would trust to lead this team to the rest of the year. He did wonders for Baker Mayfield. The best Baker Mayfield looked as a quarterback in the NFL, by the way, is after they fired, um, uh, what's his face? Uh, uh, um, Freddie Kitchens. No, no, uh, the guy before they fired him, Hugh, oh, Hugh, ja Hugh, Jackson. Hugh Jackson. Hugh Jackson. And, yes. and Greg Williams was his coach during the stretch that Baker Mayfield looked good. So Correct. Gase yep. has got to go, and, and again, sooner rather than later, to save, to try to save any sort of semblance of locker room pieces, players, and culture that the Jets don't have. And finally, Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn was on his way out, should have been fired. And uh, because of uh, lucky breaks down the, the end of the year, they made themselves slightly competitive, and Dan Quinn saves his job. Again, this is bad. And again, it's the defensive guru thing. You're the defensive guru. You have a absolute embarrassing display against Russell Wilson and your former team, and then you give up the 39-point lead. You know, the 39 points – your offense provides you with no turnovers, and you lose. And your special teams look abysmal overall, you know, besides your offense, which you don't have much say in anyways because you're the defensive guy. Uh, again, they are, they, are an, they are just embarrassing. And, again, they have too much talent, and I truly believe that they're the type of team that would respond really well to a coach being fired. And I hate to call for guys' jobs, but it just has to happen. Quinn has got to be fired Gase has got to be fired, and Patricia have to be fired. To me, if I if I were some of these teams, I would have just done it already, but I would do it ASAP unless there's a miraculous turnaround in week three. Now, let me say this as far as other coaches go to finish up my point. There are some teams, there are coaches that their seats are getting very, very warm. And I'll start with, I, I'll start with a guy that, um, two guys that, we like, I like, especially, and I think you like them too, Zimmer and Peterson in Minnesota and, and, and in Philly. Peterson's got a little more leeway because I think the Eagles fans just hate Carson Wentz. 
And so he can say, listen, when I had guys that I liked, I mean, my, you know, I, my, Nick Foles and we drafted Hurts. I think Peterson and with the Super Bowl win, but there's got to be some real pressure on him. Like, what the heck's going on there? You've got to be better than this. Injuries aren't just an excuse. Zimmer, dude, it's kind of the Lovey Smith thing. Like, I get it. You're the defensive guy, and your defense, when it's good, it's good. But your offense can't be this bad. We can't just, like, or else, you know, we you know we need to just get an offensive coach in here because you're tied to Kirk Cousins. Now, you extended him this offseason as bad as he looked. So I think there's got to be a little, at least heat turned up on them. Bill O'Brien's the other one, but Bill O'Brien's his own general manager. So who's going to fire him? And I think Bill O'Brien can easily say to the head co- to the ownership, say, if they're really bad, still another two weeks ago, two weeks from now, say, fire me as the GM, let me coach, fire me as the GM, and we need to get a new GM in here. You know what I mean? He can save that job as part of it. Uh, otherwise, I think for the most part, I'm pretty content with other coaches and their jobs for right now. I was saying, but those three guys who you think have some stability, their seats got to be warm because they are uh, three teams that should be contenders that are not. And the other three guys, they just need to go. So there you go. I hate calling for jobs, Dan, but I'm calling for three jobs ASAP. I have no uh, disagreement with those three that you mentioned there. And the thing with the three of them is they've been given enough time. Yeah, they've had because that's always my thing with the Browns, especially is I never felt that the guy got enough time. You They're know? all in year Mike three. Mike Pedden never got enough time. Yeah, no, so, agreed. Yeah. Uh, Gase is in year three. Patricia's in year three. And uh, and uh, Quinn is in is pure way over year three. Is Gase in year? And Gase is in year three, right? Gase is in. Uh, yeah, I'll have to double check that. Maybe it's quick. only but, year two, um, but it's been so bad. But the thing with Adam Gase is that he he's the one of the three that's kind of like been moving on quite often. Right. You know, like De- he, he moves on from Denver, he goes to Chicago and then he goes from Chicago. He's going to Miami to get the head coach and he can't really do much there as head coach. So then, all right, we'll move him on to the New York jets. And it's, um, you know, it's a push comes to shove, you know, something, Something's just not right with uh, the fit there, and and maybe maybe he's one of those Wade Phillips types where you're you're really good at being a coordinator, but you just can't you can't pull the you whole can't team be the together. CEO. As a head you got to be the CEO. I, I say Mike Tomlin is the greatest example of the CEO. I don't even think Mike Tomlin would be a great coordinator, but he's the CEO, and. He'd be a good defensive coordinator. Yeah. He had a lot of success with Tampa. No, Bay I know, but I just like but it now, even at this point of his career. I, I hear you. Like, though. you know, there are guys that just you have to be the CEO. You have to be more. And you don't have to be rah rah guy. Andy Reid is not rah rah guy. He is not high energy Sean McVay rah rah. But you have to, it has to be an honest message, it has to be real and truthful. And those three guys, Patricia, Quinn, and Gase, you just don't see anything from them that you say, you know what? I at least, I at least, you know, that guy is a, a real good guy and a hard, you know, like there's just, there's nothing. They're duds, the duds. Yeah. Gase is in year two. He was hired January of 2019. But it's, been but it's so man, bad. it seems like he's been there so much longer and, and look, they haven't, they haven't had a glimpse of getting better. And that's the big it's problem. So bad. They, they, nothing had, there's no light at the end of the tunnel uh, for the jets, at least. And no culture. So as, as we stand right now, no culture at all. Yeah. And no identity on offense. So that's a big problem. Um, all right, Mark. 
So here's here's what I want to talk about for my headliner here. The Aaron Rodgers Revenge Tour is officially underway. I know, I, I poofed right? my and, and I could have said this I my last week. Already. It's, not, <laughs> you it's be, not fun for you me. You should be very, very There's concerned. Poop. The NFC North should be on notice. Uh, the King of the North is going to be Aaron Rodgers this year. Uh, right? He's going to sit atop the throne. Hey, winter is coming, it's already, my friend. Yeah. We're, we're, it's, it, it's in I my mean, pants. You're, I, it's, it's bad in my pants. And it, and look, for me, winter really doesn't come out here at all because it's, you know, we're, we're just going to be experiencing high 40s and that's going to be it out here in South Carolina. But for you guys, it, it's coming real soon. And that is bad news for anyone in the NFC North here. Look, I, I could have said this after last week because of the great performance that he had. And yeah, they beat the Lions. I get it. They're 2-0 and in the North to start the season. They're 2-0 in general, but they're 2-0 in the North. That's a big deal to start things off with. Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers have won in completely different ways these two weeks here, and they have shown a vast uh, variety of ability to adjust to multiple different types of schemes and situations in a football game. To me, that's extremely impressive with how bad Minnesota and Detroit have looked the Packers have also looked that much better. We're going to give the Rams credit for blowing the lid off of Cleveland, even though Cleveland has looked uh, rough. And and the Ravens deserve that credit because you, you're supposed to beat up on bad teams. You can't say that's bad for beating up on bad teams. Aaron Rodgers yesterday, 18 of 30, 240 yards, two touchdowns, 42-21 win over Detroit. The week after the Lions got embarrassed late in the game, to the Chicago Bears. They had every reason to come into this one with motivation. The, the Packers 2-0 and now, and, and as I mentioned, one in two completely different ways. Minnesota, that was a shootout. They went uh, you know, back and forth, 360 yards. He ended up throwing four touchdowns and then you know, just lighting it up through the air because the, neither defense was showing up to play in week one. In week two, they had control with the run game. They were able to control the clock like Matt LaFleur did so often last year. And then Aaron Rodgers was able to set up the pass perfectly off of that run. So you had Aaron Jones running for 170 yards and two touchdowns. And then you had Aaron Rodgers coming back with 240 and two scores, super efficient, not turning the football over. This is an extremely scary thing for the division when you see them able to go toe-to-toe with someone, if, if their defense is playing terribly and they need to just match your, your score for score, they can do that. If they need to control time of possession and run the clock, they can do that too. And that's a recipe for success, not just in the division or in the conference, but this is a team that could really make waves in the postseason and go deep just because of how versatile they are. They're one of the more complete teams I think we've seen so far this year. And look, I said it coming into the season, I thought they were going to win the North pretty convincingly. Uh, but I did think it was going to be somewhat competitive with Minnesota. That seems to be out the window. I feel much more confident in the Bears' chance to actually compete now uh, you know, for a shot at a wild card. Um, but nonetheless, I, I don't see how... Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, if they continue with the way that they've been going, that they aren't a 12-13 win team. Rodgers ended up throwing to eight different receivers. This is a team we have been talking about 
that has not given any help to its star quarterback. And they haven't. They haven't. Devontae Adams has been the only guy there for a few years here at the skill positions. But Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams have formed a great uh, one-two punch. Aaron Jones seems to be a really quality running back there. Uh, the blocking schemes that Matt LaFleur is able to, to you know, put forth there have worked. But Aaron Rodgers is able to make it work with all of these weapons in ways that we haven't seen before. He had some of these similar weapons uh, two years ago with Mike McCarthy and even years before. And he seemed completely complacent, didn't really want to do much with the Mike McCarthy offense, uh, was frustrated at times. Here we're actually seeing him take the role within the offense. If we need to win a certain way, we're going to win that way. Eight different receivers catching passes in week two. Seven different receivers catching passes in week one. This guy this guy isn't just peppering Devontae Adams. He did in week one. Devontae got, what, like 13 catches or something. But he still found plenty of other receivers to get catches multiple times in the game. It's a recipe for success. Aaron Rodgers seems like he is just motivated. He's extra motivated this year to do something. And, you know, look, they got... They got embarrassed uh, last year in the postseason too. So I think a large part of that is like trying to prove it to the rest of the league that we like, we deserve to be where we were at and we deserve to be in that conversation. And as bad as the defense looked in week one, the defense looked a lot better in week two. They had four sacks, a turnover against the Lions. Look, if this defense is inconsistent, I still think that we were looking at a 12 win team. But if this defense plays the way they did against Detroit, and we're talking about an even scarier team with Rodgers in full control at the helm there in Green Bay. Uh, I mentioned time of possession. They had 41 minutes to 19 minutes in week one against Minnesota. They had 35 minutes to 25 minutes against Detroit in week two. This this isn't a fluke in my mind. I mean, we're talking about, especially against an experienced coach, Mike Zimmer, that knows a lot about how to control uh, a game with the run game and try and keep the ball out of the hands of some of your playmakers 41 minutes of time of possession they right now have an average of 38 a game that's tops in the NFL by like three minutes uh I know we're two games in but it looks to me like Matt LaFleur and the Aaron Rodgers led Green Bay Packers are a force to be reckoned with we heard the reports about Jordan Love and how poor he looked not even able to beat out for the backup job Aaron Rodgers is showing everyone live Hey, everyone, I, I'm still the guy here in Green Bay, okay? And and this this team can have a lot of success with me. They have the Saints, Falcons, and Bucks next. More shootouts on the way is what I anticipate. And from what we've seen, they can go toe-to-toe with the best of them uh, in, in these shootouts scenarios. I think the sky's the limit for Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, and I hate to say it, man, because I know that that's, that's – uh, you know, tough news for the Chicago Bears and company. I'm really stoked to see them go head to head, nonetheless. Um, but look, I, I just think the Aaron Rodgers revenge tour is in full effect, and we're seeing it here. Oh, by the way, last thing I want to mention before before I, I yield my time: uh, Rodgers has led them to scoring drives on 13 of 18 drives this year. <laughs> I mean. That's pretty impressive. That's incredible. <laughs> Regardless you want to say, that is five drives in two games you haven't ended up getting points. I mean, that's and, – and I'm not counting the, the kneel downs at the end of the games there. But, you know, the, the Packers and Aaron Rodgers are the real deal here. And 
You know, I know it's not like a super hot take. They won 13 games last year, whatever it was. But uh, nonetheless, I'm I'm super impressed with what we've seen so far. No, I th- you know, to respond to your headline, uh, first off, A, I'll say I did pick the Packers to win the North. So, you know, I'm not uh, crazy, crazy. But what, what does scare me as far as my nightmare as a Bears fan, obviously, is seeing the Packers win the Super Bowl. That's an obvious nightmare. Um, and what does really scare me is that there's no – it doesn't seem as there is a bully in the NFC anymore. The Niners were a bully last year, and they bullied the Packers. In the two games they played them, they embarrassed them, they bullied them. Everyone else, the Packers could go toe-to-toe with, be fine. It, the, the, the Niners' injuries have piled up. Uh, they don't. They just don't look the same as that way anymore. It doesn't seem as though there's a bully. Now, there's some bullies in the AFC. The Ravens, that's a bully. I would argue the Steelers, they're pretty close to a bully. The, 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 the Chiefs aren't a bully, but you know what I'm saying? Like, there doesn't seem to be the, the bad man on the block. Those Panthers teams from, like, 15. Those Seahawks teams from the early. Does, or the Niners last year. Or the Denver teams. Or the Bears, yeah, the Den- even in 18, were like, well, we're going to just bully and beat you down. So it doesn't seem like there is that, and that is good for Aaron Rodgers and good for the Packers because they can, if Devontae Adams stays healthy, and he's on the injury report now with the hamstring, they they can go, uh, and 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 it looks like they will put up points with just about anyone in the league. Still early, but it looks like that way in the NFC. So uh, I think you're absolutely right on t- a spot there. I'm gonna, obviously excited to see what New Orleans looked like without Michael Thomas tonight, but... I would say right now the Packers are uh, right up there with the Seahawks as as favorites in the NFC after two weeks. Yeah, I would put them right there at the top. And, um, you know, winning in different ways is, is the key because you never know what you're going to run yeah. into week in and week out. And if, you, if your team is tested that early on and has shown that they can, you know, uh, exhibit resolve in those moments and overcome, uh, then I think that's that's definitely a recipe for success. So. Aaron Rodgers, Green Bay Packers, class of the NFC right now. All right. We'll see. We'll see if that changes in, in a couple weeks. Maybe it will. I kind of hope so, too. I hate seeing them in the, <laughs> in the playoffs and the Super Bowl, especially in the Super Bowl because they beat up on my Steelers. They did. Yes, they did. <laughs> um, that brings us here as we kind of get, get ready to wrap up the show with our What If segment. And, Mark, this is uh, kind of going back to what I mentioned as one of my takeaways from week two, how good Joe Burrow has looked. I mentioned he threw 61 times, which was a, a rookie record um, in the game. And he also, I rookie believe... Rookie completion did record he, did through he, two games as well. Yes, yep. And I believe he had the completion record for completions in one yes. game as well with the 37. Uh-huh. So, uh, looking good so far two weeks in, albeit being 0-2. What if Joe Burrow is asked to throw 40-plus times a game? through multiple games this year, the majority of them. If What if Joe Burrow is asked to be the guy and to bail this team out week in and week out? What say you? Well, what I'll say is that uh, he's a tough kid, and I would I would hope that he can stay strong in his resolve through all that, if that's what happens, because he's going to get hit a lot if they do that. I like Joe Mixon a lot. I think Joe Mixon plays really good. Uh, he's a good complimentary piece. I'm glad they locked him up for Joe Burrow to have a security blanket like that. I will say this. 
I worry what we're seeing with Joe Burrow, though, is the Andrew Luck story 2.0, the Carson Wentz story 2.0, the Deshaun Watson story 2.0. The and, and I would argue in a lot of ways, I made this point on my show Saturday, the Cincinnati Bengals, to me, right now, and the Detroit Lions are like, they're like mirror images of each other, just they're a couple years apart. I just fear, my biggest fear for Joe Burrow is he's going to be Matthew Stafford. Guy's elite, he's amazing, but he's surrounded with an organization that just can't do anything right. Now, I will say this. The Bengals have an opportunity to not turn into the Lions and not turn into Matt Stafford. They do. Because, first off, A, I do think Joe Burrow, he's got a personality, he's got a little more fire, a little different just guy than Matt Stafford. Also, He's not as talented as a thrower as Matt Stafford, so he can't just rely on that. I think Stafford's one of those guys who gets a little lazy with his mechanics sometimes, similar to Jay Cutler, where you're just like, I can bail myself out. You saw that bad pick six, like this, things like that, where you're just like, come on, Matt Stafford shouldn't be making those plays anymore. So I do think he, Joe Burrow's got that going for him. But on the flip side, they have just, the the, the Bengals have shown zero interest. In, like, we knew as soon as they drafted him, he was going to start. And yet they've shown zero interest in really trying to protect him. That offensive line is not great. And yet you invest heavily in a running back, which I like, and I really like the running back. But again, where is the investment in the offensive line? Where is the – if the Bengals can't protect him, I, I'm almost tempted to say, listen, we've seen what he can do. This is great. Now let's completely dial it in. Let us start – let's start going into cocoon mode and we got to protect this asset. We're not going to bench him, but we have got to. Uh, we, we're not on prime time. It's okay if our noon game gets buried in there somewhere, the 1 o'clock game that, oh, the Bengals are 0-6, 0-8, or 1-7, and they lost again. That's okay. Protect this asset. Protect, protect, protect. That's my what if. If what if, if you're asking him to throw 30-plus times a game, I really hope that he's he, he can stay healthy and stay strong because he's going to get hit a lot. It kind of reminds me, I mean, you mentioned some of those uh, clear cases of Andrew Luck and Deshaun Watson. It's also, you know, like Ben Roethlisberger, the first five, four or five seasons of his career, he was banged up a ton. I mean, he was getting hit all the time, and it it did not translate into the passing game for them. Now, I think Joe Burrow is more polished of a passer at this young age than Ben was at the time. So there's a little bit of a difference there. But I will say, if he has to throw this often all the time, obviously that means that the team is in trouble consistently, which is something we expected coming into the season. But you mentioned it. The running game is the quarterback's best friend. It sets up the pass. It makes things a lot easier. It makes the pass, pass rush um, honest, and it keeps the defense on their toes. Um and this, that seems to be the formula where Joe Burrow will succeed as well, where he can actually have those moments. Look, I, he looked good against the Cleveland Browns when throwing 61 times. It's just not something that you can consistently do. I mean, Patrick Mahomes can't consistently handle that type of workload. It's just too much. It's too much week in and week out to be able to have a, a reliable winning formula with that strategy. So, I think if he's asked to throw that many times a game, uh, the Bengals are going to be in trouble. I don't see how Joe Burrow can 
um, attain the success that he th- that his potential would show uh, if if he's not actually you know able to to put that in a showcase and, and develop a rhythm so to speak. I mean, you know that many times is so much. So I would fear that if this is the formula the Bengals are going to have to go with because they just can't run the football well and their O line is in trouble, then you know I do fear for Joe Burrow's health and you know. You also worry about Psyche, although not necessarily with Joe Burrow, because he seems to be a pretty well put together young yeah, man. Yeah, but after you know, too many to be hits a pretty mature. and too many hits, you yeah. start to see those ghosts, or you start to you throw it early, or you lose a little bit of the mechanics because your body can yep. only take so much. I completely agree. And and you free you can you tend to freeze up at yep. moments because you're 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 anticipating the hit, even when it's not there, like you mentioned with seeing ghosts. So, um. That, that would be my biggest concern. If you're going to do this, it's going to have to be a West Coast style, getting the ball out real yes. quick. I mean, if he's going to throw yes. it 60 times, he's going to have to throw a lot of slants, a lot of curls, like a lot, a lot of like shallow crosses, things like that, that are that are going to be very quick and rapid and not long to develop. You, you, you're you not going to be taking deep shots down the field. The very owner often of the Bengals, the they, 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 and, and head coach Taylor, they need to literally look at Burrow and not see 6'3", 235, they need to see Kyler Murray. They need, like, honestly, look at him and think he's that small and and because he can move, he's mobile. But again, put him in, put him in a cocoon, safe. Keep this guy healthy. I want to see what his career can be if he doesn't get his shit rock for for fifteen next weeks. Absolutely, hundred percent. Right. Yeah, no, no, that's that would be bad news, Bears, no doubt. All right, Monday night football predictions. We got the New Orleans Saints laying five and a half. At the Las Vegas Raiders, that is the opener there at Allegiant Stadium. As we close out the show, Mark, what are your thoughts on this game? I personally think that the Raiders actually could cover this five and a half. I think it'll be like a 24-20 type of game. The emotions of a home opener, even without fans necessarily. Um, yeah, I think the Raiders are going to have some moxie here. New Orleans without Michael Thomas, you mentioned the issues there. Five and a half might be a little bit too rich. I'm not only taking... The Raiders five and a half. I'm taking Raiders money line. I think the Raiders win. I money think they line. win this okay, game. I have his upset. Is Matt? I have it as a big upset again. Emotion plays into it. Their offense is cooking. The Saints' defense. Uh, there's vulnerability to it. It's it's good. Very good, especially up front. There's some vulnerability in the linebackers. I think they. I think Waller's gonna have a big day. They're gonna they're gonna get him going. And I honestly, I, I really really think. This Saints offense without Thomas, I have no idea what to expect. And and Breeze, his arm did not look great week one. They're on the road. I think there's emotion to it, even though there's no fans. I think Gruden and a big spot on a Monday night, fans are watching. I, I, I'm not high on the Raiders to be great this year, but I think they get an upset win here. I'm going to take the Raiders I think it's a fairly low scoring. I think it's fairly uh, uh, close, but I think the Raiders steal it late on a drive in the fourth. I'm going to say Raiders like 23-20 win over the Saints. It's close, and the Saints may even get out to a nice little lead, but I I just think that the – I could be way wrong, but I have no idea what the Saints look like without Thomas, and I'm sorry, I I just don't – Trust Drew Brees' arm without Thomas. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, th- I think it'll be a little bit lower scoring. I think uh, both teams will kind of try and run the football a little bit more and make it like 24-20 New Orleans. Um, 
But we'll see. You heard it here, the, the, the bold prediction there with the, the Raiders uh, with a big upset over the New Orleans Saints from Mark. And, um, yeah, so thank you all for joining us here on the Football Lounge. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, uh, the Football Lounge, with Mark and Dan uh, on Twitter at FB Lounge Pod. And also you can uh, send us an email to our show, uh, Podcast at gmail.com. Follow Mark at Mark Hespin, myself at Dan Vasco on Twitter. We'll see you all here next week. Thank you.